Okay, Gun Talk podcast listener, you know how they say there's no free lunch? Well, there's no free podcast either. Now, I'm asking you to do a couple of things. First, visit GunTalk.tv to see hundreds of short videos we shot on shooting instruction and gun info. Hey, we put a lot of work into these, and I'm sure you're going to like them. That's GunTalk.tv. Next, I'd ask that you tell some of your friends about Gun Talk Radio and direct them to the podcast. You'll look smart and connected, and you'll be doing them a favor. Hey, thanks for the help. Welcome to Tom Gresham's Gun Talk. The best guns, the best guests, the best talk. Huge, monumental, gigantor, it un- unbelievable. I-, I tell you what, you-, you cannot find a word that can overstate the importance of what happened on Thursday of this week when the Supreme Court, that's the United States Supreme Court came in with a decision that said very simply, very clearly, unequivocally, that the Second Amendment of the United States of America, part of the Bill of Rights, applies to individuals, not this bogus, nebulous, weird idea that somehow this is a right reserved for a collective like militias or the National Guard. No, no, no. The right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. That's what we got this Thursday from the United States Supreme Court in the famous, now famous, D.C. gun ban case, the Heller case. All right. By the way, welcome. I'm Tom Gresham. The show here is Gun Talk. If you want to wade in on this, 866-TALK-GUNS, 866-TALK-GUNS. Let me just immediately and quickly bring in our good friend and frequent guest and... Uh, Actually, our guest host occasionally, Alan Gottlieb from the Second Amendment Foundation. Alan, how you feeling? I'm feeling higher than a kite, Tom. I bet you are. You were having a little trouble earlier in the week when we were together out in uh, Colorado Springs with that infection, but I bet you it's all cleared up now. Well, I don't think That's, it's cleared up, but I tell you, I don't have time to worry that, about it, or that, think that, about it, or feel it. <laughs> you had that. You had those allergies kicking up, and those that, that allergy was getting to you. But I guarantee you, we were all pretty high on Thursday. In fact, I delayed my uh, departure out of Colorado Springs, where you and I were together for that shooting sports summit. I, I had to wait at the airport until it came in. I wouldn't leave until we got the decision. Oh well, I was there in Colorado Springs when the decision came down, and then I did three uh, TV, I mean three radio interview shows. Jumped on a plane to Denver. Did another one in Denver, jumped on a plane to Seattle, and then when I hit home, <laughs> all hell broke loose with the media. It sounds like what I did. Uh, Thursday night and all day Friday, that's all I did was uh, interviews with radio stations and people are in. Now, here's one i got to run past you, because I don't know if you've seen this one yet. I know you got good clipping services, but this one was uh, posted uh, the next day, Friday, in Chattanooga, Tennessee. General Sessions Court Judge Bob Moon said Friday that crime in Chattanooga has, quote, become so rampant that there's no longer it's no longer possible for the police department to protect our citizens, close quote. He told a woman who had been pulled from her car and beaten in the head that she or her mother needed to, quote, purchase a weapon, obtain a gun permit, and learn to protect yourself. He says the U.S. Supreme Court has ruled that all citizens have a right to purchase a weapon to defend themselves. So he's telling this woman, look, the police can't protect you. Go get a gun. Well, I think the American public already knows that, based yeah, on all the yeah. public opinion polls that have come out recently in particular. Uh, that's 
you know, de facto a fact. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, ju- it just is. Uh, for those who just tuned in who didn't hear, and you know what? Strangely enough, or maybe not so strangely, it actually would have been possible to miss this story. As huge as it is, I have never seen a huge story like this underplayed by the media so much. Uh, gee, I'm not sure I can totally agree with you uh, this time out. Well, I, I, I mean, I'm, I'm going and trying to find... It was not the. I guess I thought it was going to be the lead story for a couple of days, and maybe I was expecting too much. But I mean, it was covered. But I just, I wanted them to. I wanted to be yelling from the rooftops. I guess. Yeah. Well, let me tell Tom. Give you an idea of some of the coverage. I mean, just from our point of view here, the Second Amendment Foundation did over little over two hundred media interviews, TV, radio, print, wire service, internet, news services. And uh, our tracking service showed now in the first 48 hours, we have over 4,700 uh, media credit, credits to us from various outlets all across the globe. Wow. We've, we've never had that many, ever. So it's hard for me to say it wasn't covered when, uh, bottom line, it's 4,700 showings in the media. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll go with you. I, I stand corrected. I'll go with, uh, with your assessment of this. And of course, Now, the... now would I have liked more? Sure. Would yeah. I like to have been on the front page for a month? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> we did get some most interesting quotes from some people. Where, And one of the things I found interesting was like in Chicago, where Mayor Daley and I believe it was their uh, lead attorney, both and Mayor Fenty in D.C., it's interesting, they all use the same wording. These are very frightened People. These people are afraid because they all said, this is a very frightening decision. This is a very scary decision. This is a very uh, scary thing. We, we should all be afraid. I'm thinking, what's wrong with these people? It, it was just it was interesting how they all had, they echoed the same sentiment that it frightens them that good, honest, law-abiding people would have guns for self-defense. Well, two things. One, they're trying to frighten the general public over the decision sure. because they know there are more court cases obviously has already been filed and will be filed, and they're worried about public sentiment, who serves on juries and things of that nature. And then the other problem they had with this is that there's obviously talking points going on here from the anti-gun movement, mm-hmm. and fright is obviously being used in the, in the talking points. So it does, none of that really surprises me, mm-hmm. but I don't think it's going to sell to the American public. The American public is not afraid of the average law-abiding gun owner. What they're worried about is, is, is not having the right to protect themselves against people who break gun laws now and get guns illegally. I, I went on, there's a lovely uh, online poll done at PBS, which li- usually is thought of as being somewhat liberal. On the PBS w- website, they were asking, do you agree with the Second Amendment case that the Second Amendment is uh, an individual right to keep and bear arms? And when I last checked it, it was 89% of the people saying, yes, we agree with the Supreme Court. <laughs> yeah, well, public opinion surveys, uh, not, not not online things like that, but actual public opinion surveys are showing it to be 87 89%, which, right. is, pretty, which is pretty you know close to that. Right. Uh, but also, uh, we're taking a look at, like USA Today, their question was just based, do you believe it's an individual right? 95% think it's an individual right. So, I mean, the public is overwhelmingly with us on this. 
All right, uh, let's do this. I've got uh, two or three callers. We're gonna everybody who's on hold right now, stay right there because what we're gonna do is take a quick break. We're gonna come back and let Alan handle some of these, and, and then we're gonna Alan. Let's talk about kind of what does this mean, and more specifically, where do we go from here? Because I know that there's a, a plan for everything here, and we we have already have started down this trail. We're talking with Alan Gottlieb, the Second Amendment Foundation. Our number here is eight six six Talk Guns eight. 66 Talk Guns. I'm Tom Gresham. This is Gun Talk. I've been on the local police force for 10 years now. I've stayed away from different gadgets and gimmicks that were supposed to improve my shooting. A few months ago, when I was at the range, another officer was using Crimson Trace laser grips. I have to say, I was pretty skeptical at first. Well, he let me shoot his gun, and I couldn't believe how fast and accurately I could hit the target, even in unconventional positions. At that point, I became a true believer and bought a set for myself. They were simple to install and easy to use. Crimson Trace laser grips are not a cure-all, but when my life depends on it, that red dot clearly identifies my point of aim, especially in low-light conditions when most shootings occur. You could say it helps bad guys make informed decisions. Get to your favorite gun shop and try a set today. Or contact Crimson Trace for a free catalog at the location of a dealer near you. Call 800-442-2406 or visit their website at crimsontrace.com. Lots of people are interested in handgun shooting, but they don't know how to get started. First Shots is a new program designed by the National Shooting Sports Foundation to do just that. But NSSF needs your help. Right now, many newcomers are looking for seminars, but there just aren't enough. So if you're an active shooter, a range owner, or a firearms instructor, log on to FirstShots.org and get involved by hosting a First Shots seminar. At FirstShots.org, you'll find everything you need to get started. Whether you hunt with a bow, rifle, or shotgun, Browning has the clothing to get the job done right. Browning Outdoor Clothing is loaded with features that add comfort and functionality. Things like mesh moisture barrier strips, expander pockets, featherweight neoprene cuffs, the patent-pending gear retriever system, and seamless shoulder construction, to mention only a few. Visit browning.com and discover for yourself all the features that make Browning Outdoor Clothing your best choice. Browning Outdoor Clothing, the best there is. Kimber 1911 pistols are the choice of America's best. LAPD SWAT tested five major brands and chose Kimber. The USA Shooting Rapid Fire Pistol Team trains for the Olympics with a Kimber. U.S. Marines from Central Command carried Kimber. Most recently, the LAPD Special Investigation Section, or SIS, chose Kimber. If you want the best pistol, choose a 1911. If you want the best 1911, choose a Kimber. Visit KimberAmerica.com. Finally, the television channel you've been looking for, the Sportsman Channel, dedicated exclusively to hunting and fishing programming 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Absolutely no infomercials or variety programming, just tried and true hunting and fishing. To see what you've been missing, visit us at thesportsmanchannel.com and call your cable or satellite provider and request the Sportsman Channel today. The Sportsman Channel, all hunting, all fishing, all the time.
Yes, indeed. The monumental Supreme Court decision written by Justice Antonin Scalia saying that the Second Amendment is an individual right, of course, written by Justice Scalia. And then, of course, we have Keith Oberman, former sports guy, now MSNBC, who nobody watches, uh, saying, uh, declared that Justice Antonin Scalia was his choice that day for the Worst person in the world. He says, despite years of fog created by the NRA and right-wing organizations, this isn't very complicated. For the purposes of forming a state militia, you're entitled to keep and bear arms. Obviously, according to Keith Oberman, he says, obviously those would have to be the kind of use in arms since, or the kind used in arms since 1791, when the Bill of Rights was passed. The musket, the wheel lock, the flint lock, the 13th century Chinese hand cannon, stuff like that. Yes, Mr. Oberman, and that would mean that you would be broadcasting with a quill pen in a hand-operated press. So much for... Well, like I said, nobody watches them anyway. Who cares? Uh, we're talking with Alan Gottlieb from the Second Amendment Foundation. Alan, what... What does this mean to you? I mean, this has been a long battle. We've we've watched this for a long time, and you have been not only in the forefront, but you've been kind of behind the scenes on a lot of stuff, supporting a lot of the legal scholarship of the Dave Copels, the uh, Dave Hardys, the uh, you know the people who've been putting forth these articles in law journals over the last literally two decades, supporting that. I mean, this is so huge. This decision. What does this mean to you? Well, it really means an awful lot to the extent, I hate taking credit for these things, but... No, no, you, you, founded, you've been there. Yeah, you've been when there. I founded the Second Amendment Foundation, there was virtually no legal scholarship supporting Second Amendment rights in law journals or public, you know, popular culture publications, uh, you know, in any, any type of serious journal. Uh, there was just nothing to build on. So when kids went through law school, everything you read was anti-gun, and... It really was was a problem, and I realized eventually we're going to get a case to the Supreme Court. But before you could do it, you had to build a foundation for the case. You had to have all this you know this scholarship out there and all this research done. And that was part of why the Second Amendment Foundation was founded. It wasn't to fight the battle that day; it was to fight the battle in the future. And it's amazing the game plan we set up uh, actually came to fruition. Lots of things had to fall into place to make it work. So I don't want to take all the credit for it because obviously Alan Gore was a great attorney. Doing the arguments at the Supreme Court and setting the case up and getting you know you know plain, the right plaintiffs, uh, but it was it, it was putting the building blocks in place and, and building the army, building the artillery, building the ammunition so that we could win this battle. And boy, it feels good, Tom. It really feels good. I uh, I'm going to diverge on you just a little bit. You know, we had uh, Alan Alan Gur on here the first hour. We uh, and it's not my idea. I don't claim it is mine. One of our listeners, a Gun Talk listener, suggested it to me in an email yesterday. I was just all over it. I asked Alan what he thought. He liked it. And here's the idea. You know, originally, there were six plaintiffs in what was called the Parker case. And of course, it ended up being the Heller case. But there were six people who agreed to put their names on this thing and challenge this illegal, this unconstitutional gun ban. Now they can own a handgun in D.C. Our idea is through Gun Talk Radio, what we do, and however else we can do it, is to take up a collection from people who support what they did, who are willing to stand up, and we're going to buy them guns. We're going to get them their handguns. I think it's absolutely great. Uh, they all deserve one, and they should 
get a gold-plated one, in my opinion. I mean, <laughs> I agree. No I, think, I, think, about it. I think we got to do something like put, I don't know, the docket number of the, the Heller case on it for a serial. I don't know. We'll, we'll figure out something, because I, I guarantee you this is important enough to do. This is huge. I got a question for you. I just got an email from somebody. He says, now, look, uh, if you're a citizen of the District of Columbia, you're not a resident of Virginia or Maryland, I think. And obviously, I think there probably are no gun stores in Washington, D.C., because you haven't been able to buy a handgun there for 30 years. Where could they buy a handgun if they're not a resident of a state? That's a very good question. Those are some things that need to be worked out and why this case, even in D.C., is not finished yet and why it's also going to take probably some more litigation to, 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 to wrap it up. Uh, D.C. will not issue a license to anybody to go into business to, to, to sell firearms in the District of Columbia. If you're a D.C. resident, you can't go across the border legally and buy the gun. Right. Now, if you move there with your own gun, you know, uh, D.C. is opening up a registration system. But they're also now saying, by the way, they're not only going to register revolvers, they won't register semi-autos for handguns. <laughs> yeah, they, they, uh, they, ca- they call semi-autos machine guns in D.C. That's how confused they are. Uh, no, it's on purpose because they want to demonize them and make sure that that, that part of the law didn't get knocked out by the Supreme Court. Um. So we're going to have to. There's more litigation going to have to have to happen in D.C. Uh, but we do have a person that has a federally licensed FFL federal license, and he applied to D.C. to go into business to open up a store, and he was rejected. Um. And so we may be very. We, we may already have the, the potential plaintiff to go after them on on that as well. Uh, but it's, uh, you know, the Heller case only dealt with, you know, possession of a handgun in one's own home. Right. It didn't deal with, the, with any, any of the commerce of it. But obviously one can't legally get one in one's own home if the city doesn't allow anybody to sell one to use to have it in your own home. Yeah, so they, they can't, logically, they can't legally prevent uh, a gun store from being there because that would shut off the supply of guns. And the court just ruled that people can legally own guns yeah. there. There's all- there's also an equal protection problem here because if you and I who own handguns moved to D.C., we could obviously have our handguns. But uh-huh. if you lived in D.C. and were resident to start with, couldn't you, couldn't, buy one. you couldn't legally acquire one from a dealer. Yeah. Got you. Got you. Let me do this. Uh, Matt's been on hold for a while. I appreciate your patience, Matt. Line three out of Shreveport, Louisiana. Got a question for Alan? Yes, sir. How are you doing, Tom? Great. Uh, I was uh, was going to ask about this Supreme Court deal. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've been a I've been shooting guns ever since I was uh, old enough to walk, pretty much. But uh, I, I got recently, I guess probably about six months ago, I got my concealed weapons permit. And I had the option of uh, getting a Louisiana permit or the Florida permit. Uh, both of them cost the same. If I got the Louisiana permit, it would just cover the state. And uh, the Florida one, I believe, covers about 36 states now. Uh, I've... Uh, Main reason, you know, I've always believed that, you know, if guns kill people, and you know, that I can blame this spell words on my pencil. But uh, is there is there any change as far as the freedom of our concealed weapons permit through this thing? Well, I'm going to do two things. One, I'm going to say that uh, you got a little bit of bad information because your Louisiana permit is good in about 30 states now. Uh, so a Louisiana permit is just about as good as a Florida permit. But having said that. Let me toss it, and, and thank you for your call, Matt. Uh, listen, let me toss it to Alan. Alan, does, does the D.C. Uh, case, does the Supreme Court decision confirming a, an individual right to keep their arms, does it have anything to do with or is it going to affect concealed carry laws? Not at all. Uh, this was a case about possession of a, home, of, a, of a gun in your own home for self-defense. 
did not talk about carrying at all. So one would have to assume in this decision uh, that laws on carrying uh, are legitimate laws that states can enact uh, as long as they're not preventing you from being able to defend yourself, so to speak. What, it, what, what this case may have done, though, is it may have opened up a very good argument why every state should have open carry uh, so that, that they, they, one way or the other they have to allow you to carry a gun. Ah. Uh, but the case wasn't about that, so that's going to be litigation further on down the line, I'm sure. Well, you know, speaking of, there's going to be a lot of litigation that comes out of this. Now, I know that uh, Sandy Froman called this the uh, the Roe v. Wade of gun cases because it's going to kick off 20 years, uh, and I think that's probably appropriate. I call it the Brown versus Board of Education. It takes a while to define what this is, and he's got to go through the courts. And to basically, you, you already started that, did you not, in Chicago? In both Chicago and San Francisco now. Uh, but yet, yes, it is the Roe v. Wade case. It's the foundation to, to build case law on for, for you know the next couple decades for sure. So Sandy is 100% right. What we did was immediately, 15 minutes or so after the decision in D.C., we had Alan Gore, who was the attorney of record in the D.C. case, on our behalf, file a lawsuit uh, for the Second Amendment Foundation, some individual plaintiffs in the Illinois State Rifle Association against the city of Chicago's uh, handgun ban in federal court in Chicago. Uh, then yesterday, uh, the day after, we filed, well, actually, it was the Second Amendment Foundation. We decided we're going to be the lead amicus in the case, but our sister group, the Citizens Committee for the Right to Keep and Bear Arms, in conjunction with the NRA and an individual plaintiff who's a gay male living in public housing in San Francisco, mm-hmm. we filed suit uh, to overturn San Francisco's law that if you live in public housing, you're not allowed to own a gun to protect yourself. Uh, we filed those two cases immediately because one of the situations we have here is, is that D.C. is not a state. And the anti-gunners, of course, are going to argue that the ruling only applies to D.C., not to any of the other 50 states. Uh-huh. So we're looking for the 14th Amendment incorporation argument, uh, which I don't per- first believe that we necessarily need because I think the Second Amendment speaks for itself and automatically applies to the 50 states. But nevertheless, just to make sure here, we're trying to get a quick route uh, to incorporation that involves a non-criminal case and, and good people. So we have in Chicago, as an example, one of our plaintiffs is an individual who's been fighting drug gangs uh, as an auxiliary police officer for a number of years. We have got some people who've been burglarized a number of times and, and couldn't protect themselves. Uh, and so what we're looking at is, is building that way. And again, now in, in San Francisco, we have a gentleman who is, you know, a very well-known gay activist who obviously gets threats in San Francisco, but he can't protect himself. Because he lives uh, in public housing, and they keep you from having a gun in public housing. Alan, I mean, this, the whole thing is, it sounds like what was done with the Heller case, design, very carefully plan your cases, design them so that you have the case, you get the right case with the right person, with the right people, that you could take it back to the Supreme Court. Uh, hold on, Alan. Uh, they're playing music on me. We'll do this thing. We're talking with Alan Gottlieb from the Second Amendment Foundation. If you want to check out what they're doing, go to chicagoguncase.com, chicagoguncase.com. And if you want to chat with us here, give us a call, 866-TALK-GUNS. I'm Tom Gresham. This is Gun Talk. Welcome to Tom Gresham's Gun Talk, high-caliber talk radio. Hey, welcome back. 866-TALK-GUNS. You know, I'm down here in the bayou, and I can see all the way from 
Bellevue, Washington, where my good friend Alan Gottlieb is. I can see you smiling all the way over here, Alan. Yep. <laughs> I was telling somebody, I said, you know, I got to tell you, I've been doing this for a long, 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 long time. I'm not sure as much as I hoped for it, worked for it, planned for it. I'm not sure I ever thought we would get a decision from the Supreme Court that said unequivocally the Second Amendment is an individual right. This this is just so huge. It literally cannot be overstated, can it? No, you can't. But, you know, on the other hand, I am really disappointed and angered by the four justices (sighs) that didn't support us. Because there's absolutely, when you read the minority dissent opinion, I mean, it's such garbage that they were just using their, I mean, it was not rule of law. It was just their own political will and philosophy, period. And they just weren't going to abide by the Constitution. And the fact that, you know, there's four of them on the Supreme Court that were willing to do that, we as gun owners should never forget who they are and how they got there. Well, and how they got there and and the process of a president of the United States making the nominations and Nothing could make it clearer what's at stake this year. That's, that's absolutely correct, particularly in the fact that there's no doubt that the anti-gun movement is already mobilizing to make sure that no pro-gun rights judge ever gets confirmed to a federal bench anywhere in the United States. They've already made that plain and clear. Yeah. And it's they not just the, yeah. the decision. Not just the Supreme Court. I think you make the point there, any federal court bench. That's correct, because these cases start in the, in the lower courts first and work their way up. Yep. And the other side is mobilized to make sure that every pro-gun rights judge, anybody who believes in the Second Amendment, never serves on a federal bench anywhere yep. in the country. Exactly. Just a second. We got Dean calling in on line three from California. Dean, you got a great question for Alan. Hi, hi, Alan. Uh, Dean in uh, California. I've been seeing in the news about incorporation that, in order for the Second Amendment to be applied to city and um, state laws, that it would have to be incorporated. I, I don't understand that a right is a right. Okay, let me, if I can, give you a little bit of history on this. Uh, this started out way back in, in the uh, 1800s when the Supreme Court basically ruled that a lot of the uh, areas of the Bill of Rights only applied to the federal government encroaching on your right. It didn't apply in any of the states or their political subdivisions from encroaching on your rights. That remained case law in all areas, basically, of the Bill of Rights for a number of years until eventually a case came up where, uh, based on the 14th Amendment, uh, when it was passed, the court then reversed itself and said, now because of the 14th Amendment, all rights guaranteed to you by your federal government are basically the states can't take away from you, so to speak. And so cases started to be changed. If you take a look at the First Amendment, which, is, which I think was one of the major cases it was about, it reads, Congress shall pass no law abridging, which was what led it to the fact that the rest of the Bill of Rights sort of followed that trend line that said it was only applying to the federal government. Subsequently, after the 14th Amendment, cases have gone back to the courts and been so-called incorporated by the 14th Amendment so that any right that the federal government you have under the federal Constitution, no state or political subdivision can take away from you. Well, this is the first time we've now had the Second Amendment affirmed as an individual right by the Supreme Court. Lots of people are arguing that it needs to go back to the it has to go back to the courts now to make it applicable to all 50 states, particularly because D.C. was not a state. It was federal law allows D.C. to pass these laws, so technically you are challenging the federal government at the same time. Uh, my feeling is, is at this point, because of all the case law and case history, there is no doubt we are going to win this incorporation argument no matter what, because you can't say the Second Amendment isn't incorporated when the rest of the Bill of Rights is. But we just never had a Second Amendment case get this far along to be able to attach incorporation to it. Now we've got it. 
and now we have to take the ball and run with it. Is that what the uh, San Francisco case is about, in, at least in part? Uh, yeah, at least in part. I mean, in fairness, we would like to get the guy's rights so that he can own a gun in public housing in San sure, Francisco. Sure. But the more important issue is is that you're then going to get it to the courts because they're going to say that the Heller decision out of D.C. is applicable to uh, San Francisco because of the 14th Amendment incorporation, and San Francisco can't deny you rights that you're granted by your federal government. And then, of course, when they do that, what will happen is that will be valid, say, in the whole Ninth Circuit. And in Chicago, when we do it there, it will be valid in that whole circuit. And eventually the circuits are just going to say, okay, we yield. You know, one of the points that uh, Alan Gura made I thought was brilliant. I know you guys, you've been involved in this on the inside. You guys have talked this all through. And he said, you know, he says, what another thing to understand is that now in law schools, when you study and when you take the bar, you have to answer that the Second Amendment is an individual right. It has to be taught and it has to be answered that way to pass the bar. That's right. They can no longer talk about that it's only a militia collective right or that it might be an individual right, but nobody's decided it. Now it's de facto. Now we know it, and now they can't do anything about it, unless, of course, two things happen. You get a change in the Supreme Court, and you get ruled by man, not law, and they decide to you know, whittle it down or, or make it meaningless. Or you get things like, you know, the Chicago Tribune's editorial yesterday, <laughs> now repealing the Second Amendment, and we need to start a move to take it out of the Bill of Rights. Uh, you know, and that could happen, too, if the wrong people get elected. Well, you know, for, and I said, look, I said, that's the first time I've actually found a Chicago Tribune editorial, to be honest, because they weren't trying to wheeze it around. They just said, look, let's just go in and repeal it. I said, okay, well, that's a, that is an honest approach. You give that your best shot. Now, with 75% of the people in the country saying no, I do have an individual right to own a gun. I believe that to be true. That's going to go nowhere. But at least that is a legitimate, honest way for them to approach it. It also gives us a pretty good look at what their thinking is on the other side. They they think this is such a bad idea for individuals to be able to have guns that they would want to repeal the Second Amendment. That's right. And But you have to realize there's so many gun haters out there that they're going to be attacking us every way they can. And, you know, this, they, they, to be honest about it, the Supreme Court decision never mentioned a word about ammunition. They ban all the ammunition, your guns are useless. They're going to try every creative trick in the book they can to fight back. And so this battle isn't over. This battle just begun. Hey, and you've got more information about this on your website, right? Yeah, there's stuff at Second Amendment Foundation, SAF.org. Uh, but also, you mentioned the Chicago Gun Case.org, mm-hmm. which is a great website because it's going to have everything going on on the Chicago stuff. And uh, by all means, I'd I'd urge your listeners to go visit both those sites, saf.org and chicagoguncase.org. Yeah, and it's also chicagoguncase.com if you want to go that way. Hold on a second here, Alan. Our number is 866-TALK-GUNS, 866-TALK-GUNS. It's a good day to be a gun owner in America. You want the newest rifle innovations, and that's what the Smith & Wesson iBolt rifle delivers. From the match-grade barrel to the one-piece weaver scope mount, this gun defines the next generation of rifles. Your eyebolt rifle includes patented features such as the easy-turn bolt release, true-set trigger so you can set it the way you want it, recoil reduction chamber, X-bed stock design, its stronger, lighter, and flush sling mounts. Get the details on the eyebolt rifle from Smith & Wesson. Visit smith-wesson.com. If you want to shoot better or help someone get into shooting, check out guntalktv.com. This is Tom Gresham. For firearms basics as well as advanced instruction, you don't have to leave home. It's called Gun Talk TV, and it's firearms video instruction online at guntalktv.com. That's guntalktv.com. 
You'll find all kinds of instruction, plus lots of gun safety video at GunTalkTV.com. Your AR-15 should be a sound investment, and Stag Arms has you covered. Made from forged aircraft-quality aluminum, Stag is one of the most durable and dependable rifles in the world. Makers of the only true left-handed carbine, Stag Arms has been tested and battle-proven by elite SWAT teams. Every component is made in the USA, so you get the highest quality, whether left or right-handed. Each Stag Arms rifle carries a lifetime warranty, too. Call 860-229-9994 or go online at stagarms.com. Browning has been the leader in auto-loading shotguns from the very beginning, starting 90 years ago with John M. Browning's famous Auto 5. But Browning designers haven't been sitting still. Their new model, the Gold, redefines what a gas-operated shotgun should be. In wing shooting, feel is the key, and the Gold flies to the shoulder with a liveliness never before seen in an auto-loader. The shorter, lighter-weight receiver puts the balance between the hands, where the top shooters want it. And the short piston stroke makes for an extremely clean shooting gun. The Browning Gold adjusts automatically to any load, from one-ounce target ammo to heavy three-inch magnums. And unlike some 20s, which are built on a heavy 12-gauge frame, the Gold 20 is a true 20-gauge, using its own smaller action. Of course, all Gold shotguns exhibit the high quality and attention to detail that shooters everywhere have come to expect from Browning. Discover the new standard, the Gold standard in auto-loading shotguns. Check out the Gold 12 and 20 at your local Browning dealer. We're back with you, Tom Gresham, Gun Talk here, talking with Alan Gottlieb from the Second Amendment Foundation. Alan, if you're trying to explain the significance of this Supreme Court case, the Heller case, uh, how do you explain it to people? Well, let's say it's like uh, New York Times v. Sullivan or, you know... Uh, First Amendment. First mm-hmm. Amendment, you know, or, uh, you know, Roe v. Wade when it comes to the abortion question. I mean, this is humongous. Uh, I mean, this is one of these landmark cases that we talked about forever, not just in our lifetime, but generations and generations to come. I mean, it's, it's setting uh, a significant precedent. It's the first time that the Supreme Court has definitively, you know, in one of the areas of the Bill of Rights, made a ruling. That's very historic. You know, I'm, I'm looking at uh, what Mayor Fenty from D.C. said. He said, well, of course, you know, you still can't have uh, semi-automatics here because D.C. calls them machine guns. And as you said, that's by design. And then I'm thinking about the, uh, the all the efforts to ban semi-automatic rifles. And yet Justice Scalia said that, uh, mentioned that you couldn't ban anything that was not, what did he say, uh, uniquely dangerous or something and, and unusual. And there's nothing unusual about semi-autos, does this completely kill off all efforts to do the so-called assault weapons ban? No, it won't kill off efforts. Uh, it, hopefully it will make it harder for them to win, but it's not going to kill off efforts. Justice Scalia used the, the art form terminology of commonly owned firearms. Uh, and what's interesting, because you know we all know U.S. versus Miller, which was sort of the last time the Supreme Court dealt with this case, but M- Miller may be a very important ruling here, not the Miller from the Supreme Court, but a Miller case out of California, yeah. which was really uh, had to do with pornography and uh, you know and uh, obscenity, and uh, basically that's the ruling that talks about what's, what's considered to be obscenity in one area of the country is not obscenity in another area of the country, uh, and so you know it's sort of like like community standards. So, example, if in Louisiana, ninety percent of the population owns you know uh, assault rifles, so to speak, well in Louisiana you shouldn't be able to ban assault rifles. 
But in New York City, if nobody's allowed, no one has an assault rifle, well, maybe New York City can, you know, can ban assault rifles. So this is going to be a very, very interesting thing because I think what's going to happen here is the way that decision is worded, there's going to be all kinds of interesting litigation coming up that we haven't even thought of yet. And that's mm-hmm. why for decades there's going to be all kinds of novel approaches. And anti-gun law professors are already coming out of the woodwork on this. I mean, with all kinds of theories and, and new ways to try to test this, to, to narrow what it means. I mean, they'd like to at this point admit, okay, the Second Amendment gives you a right to keep your arms, but quote-unquote, no arms are covered under it. And that's what they're going to try to do. Um, and, you know, uh, Washington, D.C. has already, already said that with the semi-auto, you know, pistols or, ha- you know, handguns. And, and we're going to see this in a number of different ways, in ammunition bans and all kinds of other restrictions. That are gonna, you know, not allowing gun stores to sell guns. If you can't buy a gun, well, then you still can't have one. Is, is this a good time for a, a young person who's thinking about a career in law to become a specialist in Second Amendment law? Well, uh, you know, there's only really one law school I know that does this, and that's James Madison University, where they actually have a Second Amendment section at the law school. Uh, Professor Nelson Lund, who actually did the Second Amendment Foundation's brief in, in the Heller case, is, who, is who, who runs it. How did I know you would know that, Alan? <laughs> okay, but, but the truth of the matter is that, that, that we need more trained attorneys in this area with knowing right. the, the history of the case law and how we got here. Alan Gore is just really great, and he's young, and there's a number of other attorneys, you know, you've got doing this stuff. Chuck Michelle has filed the case for us in San Francisco. He's also the attorney on record who, who filed our case that overturned San Francisco's ban on handguns for, for the general population. Uh, we've got a number of trained people out there, and, you know, people like you mentioned, uh, Dave Copel and Dave Hardy doing a lot of research, writing mm-hmm. briefs, Mikas's, Don Cates. We have, we have a number, but we're going to need more because the litigation here is going to, is going to make the tobacco laws. It looks like nothing that's ever going to be filed. Very interesting. Now, I mean, and of course, we're not going to be suing to make money. We're going to be suing to regain civil rights. And I, I call gun rights a civil right. And, you know, honestly, I'd love to see, uh, I'd love to be joining arms figuratively, if not literally, with uh, Jesse Jackson and Al Sharpton and having them, you know, march along with us in our civil rights effort. I don't think that's very likely. No, but... in fact, Jesse Jackson yesterday came out talking about he wants to keep Chicago, quote-unquote, redlined so there are no gun dealers selling guns in Chicago. And, you know, I love how he's against redlining for, you know, banks and things so they can make loans to minorities, but he's all for, he's all for quote-unquote, redlining to keep gun, gun stores out of business. Interesting. Now, I would think that it was going to be difficult for a city to say you can't have gun stores in a city now that we know that the Second Amendment is, in fact, an individual right, because, you know, you can't have the right if you don't have access to the product in this case. Well, you and I know that, but this court case, the Supreme Court, did not deal with the commerce of guns. And the bottom line is, is we've got a number of jurisdictions around the country where there are no – right now there are no gun stores, to my knowledge, any longer in San Francisco for that matter. Hmm. But you, Washington, D.C., Chicago, uh, you know, uh, it, it's like, it's like you know, in New York City, I think there are a couple. But the bottom line is, is that if you make it impossible to sell guns, you're right, nobody can, can get one. So they're going to be going at this all different kinds of ways and all, all kinds of regulation. There are probably going to be more bills proposed now than before the, than before the ruling. Because they're going to have to get creative now that they've lost on this one. In fact, I, I loved it when the uh, the Brady campaign came out well, a week or two ago and said we've lost uh, on the Second Amendment of what it actually means. Seventy-five percent of the people think that the Second Amendment is an individual right. 
So, and they said they're going to turn exactly what you said out, and they're going to turn and start working on state and local different jurisdictions. Hold on just a second here with a quick break here. We'll take another, uh, another quick break. We'll come back with Alan Gottlieb. Uh, Alan is the founder, the head of the Second Amendment Foundation and the Citizens Committee for the Right to Keep and Bear Arms. If you go to their websites, saf.org, well, that'll get you actually, you can go to both of them that way. SAF for Second Amendment Foundation.org. You can find out what they're all about. Like I said, he's a very forward-looking guy. He's been work, working on this for literally decades, and his behind-the-scenes work is a large part of what actually made this happen in the Supreme Court this week. Alan Gottlieb. Our number, 866-TALK-GUNS, 866-TALK-GUNS, and be sure to check out ChicagoGunCase.com. We'll be right back with more Gun Talk. It's always great to hear what our leaders tell us. Uh, Mayor Daly, Chicago Mayor Daly, uh, upon hearing of the decision that overturned the D.C. gun ban case, he says it's a very frightening decision. He says, if they think that's the answer, they're greatly mistaken. Then, then why don't we do away with the court system and go back to the Old West? You have a gun and I have a gun, and we'll settle it in the streets if that's what they're thinking. Mayor, have you actually been on the streets in Chicago where you have a 13% increase in murders this year while you have a gun ban in place? It doesn't work, Mayor. That's exactly where we are. Anyway, uh, Alan, we're, uh, in the few minutes we have left, I want to give you the floor and have you kind of explain uh, kind of what this means, where we go, and anything else you'd like to share at this point. Well, at this point, I think we, we talked a little bit about where we're already going with the suit filed against the Chicago gun ban and the San Francisco public housing gun ban. I'm looking at other suits down the line here to challenge. One in particular I want to go for is in New York City. In New York, in order to get a handgun in your own home, you have to have a permit. Now, obviously, this court decision would allow a permit to be, you know, to be gotten. However, in New York, it takes six months. I don't know anybody can argue that six months is reasonable. Uh, and obviously, to me, a right delayed is a right denied, and six months is denied at a long time. Mm-hmm. So I'm looking to try to f- figure out a way to uh, file a suit against New York City. And, of course, the big smile on my face is, is that we could also name Mayor Bloomberg as head of New York City and get even uh, for some of the <laughs> mischief that he has caused. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's, things like that is the kind of cases we're looking at first to try to build a foundation, which then makes it easier to, to challenge other areas of gun control laws. Obviously, this ruling will not allow us to take out every gun control statute that's out there, and that's not really what our intent is to do. Our intent is to take those out that really, you know, make it next to impossible or retard a person from being able to own a firearm legally. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so those are the kind of things that we're going after. Uh, what's going to mess us up a little bit, and people need to realize, is that virtually every criminal out there who is now going to try to use the Second Amendment as a defense when, when, when they get indicted. Uh, and so we've got, we've got to be careful of some really bad case law coming up of people trying to misuse the ruling and getting anti-gun judges in the courts then to, quote-unquote, tighten the ruling or, or make it null and void. So this is going to be a very contentious battle, and if anything, we need to pay more attention to it now in the courts, not less attention, because it really is an exploding issue right now. Wow. Uh, a lot of stuff coming up. Let me once again. I'm going to return to this one thing. We're I'm going to work with uh, with you. I'll coordinate with you and with Alan Gura on coming up with some very nice presentation guns for the the DC six, if you will, the the six plaintiffs in the original DC gun case. Now that they can legally own guns there, 
We're going to make sure that they have some nice guns. Yeah, and we better right now make them revolvers because the city won't register them otherwise. However, also right now, you know, the city has not registered any guns. They don't really have a procedure in place to necessarily do it. So we're going to have to monitor. The courts are going to have to monitor this ruling anyway to make sure that there's some legitimizing enforcement of the rest of the gun laws in D.C. so that, indeed, people can own a gun. So this is going to get interesting there. Yeah, and, I, and fr- frankly, I expect them to make it, try to make it difficult, and we'll probably have to go back to court and tell them, no, no, you can't do that. But it's a process, as you say, Alan. So, I mean, it's it's going to be interesting. At least we're working on the right side of things now. I, I just want to thank you, my friend, for all that you have done through the years and with this thing and uh, just everything you've done for gun owners. Thank you, Tom. That helps recharge my batteries and makes you run out there next week and be, you know, and be more effective. I appreciate it. Because sometimes the end of gunners can really, re- really wear you down and yeah. you don't get a whole lot of thanks for what you do. I really appreciate it and I'll be out there next week fighting. All right. Thanks so much, Alan. You keep fighting and we'll be right there with you shoulder to shoulder the whole way. My friend, Alan Gottlieb from the Second Amendment Foundation. Not just one of the good guys, one of the really good guys with the vision to get in there and start this process 20-plus years ago. That's what made this Supreme Court decision actually happen. 866-TALK-GUNS, 866-TALK-GUNS. Let's talk about this case. I'm Tom Gresham. This is Gun Talk. Gun Talk.